The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing tool L, laughter. A good laugh is sunshine in a house by William Thackeray. Hi everyone and welcome to the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. Today we are in for a treat because we have my good friend Kelly Lynn here on the podcast. She is a stand-up comedian, actor, author, speaker, and recently became a grief coach. Kelly is also a proud TEDx speaker. Her TEDx talk, When Someone You Love Dies, There Is No Such Thing As Moving On, has gone viral and has almost 2 million views. Kelly became widowed suddenly in July of 2011 when her 46-year-old husband, Don, collapsed from cardiac arrest. Since his death, comedy and laughter have been a source of healing. Kelly has taken her dead husband comedy to several venues and events, including stand-up performances for psychiatrists, therapists, and doctors, as well as Soaring Spirits Camp Widow in San Diego, Tampa, and Toronto. In Kelly's words, her favorite sound in the universe is widowed people laughing. But before we bring Kelly on the show, I'd like to discuss the why, the why laughter heals. For me, nothing at all seemed funny after Brent died and grief and trauma came barreling into my life. Yet I had read about the psychological and physiological benefits of laughter. They've been researched and documented for decades. And I guess it's no wonder why Bob Hope traveled to entertain the troops throughout World War II. And it's no wonder why physician Patch Adams continues to bring his clown-like antics to children in hospitals all around the world. Really, whether it's forced or spontaneous, laughter can help us heal by reducing our feelings of anxiety and depression, by strengthening our immune system, by reducing levels of physical pain, and by lowering our blood pressure. Kelly Lynn, it is so great having you here on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. 
It is so great to be had. <laughs> this particular podcast is about Healing Tool L, which is laughter. And you were the first one that I thought of when I was thinking, I need to pull a guest on here. Who should it be? Kelly Lynn Shepard, for sure. I am so glad to hear that. Thank you so much for thinking of me with laughter. Well, I have to tell everybody how I met you. And um, my first Camp Widow was in 2013. And I remember seeing the workshop schedule and there was some random workshop at the end of the day called my husband is not a rainbow and i thought what is this workshop turns out this is a workshop that kelly does every camp widow we have three per year courtesy of soaring spirits international so that was my first dose of laughter after brent died was through you so thank you for that well that was actually my first camp too i'm not sure was it the san diego one that we met it was. Yeah. So I don't know if that was my first one, but 2013 was the first year that I started doing that presentation at Camp Widow. Okay. So that was my first Camp Widow. So that's when I met you. But before we get in any deeper into Healing Tool L and laughter and how you've utilized that tool in your life, I would love it if you would share with the listeners just a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this place. Sure, absolutely, I would love to. So I'm Kelly Lynn and I am from Massachusetts originally, very small little town, uh, Groton, Mass. And I always wanted to be a writer, an actress, a comedian, all those sort of things. So from like when I was a little kid, I wanted to move to New York City. That was always my dream and become maybe a cast member on Saturday Night Live. I always thought about that. That was the thing. So I did move to New York City and I went to college at Adelphi University and I did lots of plays and lots of theater and lots of comedy and lots of stand-up comedy. And I graduated with a BFA in theater in performing arts. And then I stayed in New York City in that area um, and lived there for 20 years after that. Um, and during that time, I, you know, continued to do a lot of acting and, and little, little things here and there. Never really made a living with it, but made money here and there doing it. And then I picked up a job as a professor teaching acting and teaching dramatics and teaching stand-up comedy, improvisation, all that kind of stuff, and taught at Adelphi for 16 years. And during that time on the internet, I went into a music chat room one day uh, during my dating days. And I met this person sort of by accident or fate, however you choose to see it. And th the purpose of the room, it, you know, back then they had like tri uh, trivia rooms and chat rooms. This was back in the days of AOL, America Online. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> yes, I do. That was back in the days of the dinosaur. Yeah, it was, the, it was the 1990s, the days of the dinosaur. And it was, um, you would go into these chat rooms and they were, you know, topic specific. So this one was about 1980s music and you had to go in and you would type in lyrics to 80s songs. And that was my childhood. So I loved this game. I would come go into this room at the end of, the, of a long work day and I would just type in, you know, one hit wonders from the 1980s. And then somebody would guess what, what the song is and who the artist is. And that was the game. And there was usually 40 or 50 people in this little chat room and we would all play this game. Well, this one particular night, there was nobody in there except this one random person. 
whose screen name was way above par. And my screen name was Camel Fox for no reason. It was just random. And I thought it was funny. And we started chatting and he was like, was it something I said? Where is everybody? And I said, I have no idea. It's usually a lot of people. And I said, you must've driven them away. And immediately we just started bantering. Like we knew each other forever. And, you know, we had just met. It turned into a five hour online conversation, typing back and forth. And that turned into talking almost every night online, typing back and forth in instant messenger back then. And that turned into phone calls. And that turned into about three years of a friendship that developed that was very flirtatious and we didn't really define it as anything more for quite a while. And then that turned into him finally coming out to the New York area to meet me in person. So it took like three years for us to meet. And so we met and that's when we fell in love and he, he spent about a week here and we just kind of did all the New York City things because he had never been here before. And so I took him around like a like tourist and, <laughs> and we did all the New York City things and we fell in love and we said, I love you before he left for the airport to go back to Florida. He was from Florida. I should have mentioned that in the beginning. <laughs> that's kind of important. So he didn't live where I lived. And um, so we... We continued our relationship and eventually a few years after that, he moved to New Jersey. Um, I lived, you know, 10 minutes outside of Manhattan at the time in a little apartment. And so he moved in with me and we got married and we were married for four years and nine months. And then one ordinary Wednesday morning, he left for work and he never came home. He had a massive heart attack. He was 46 years old. I was 39 and my life completely changed overnight. Very, very quickly, humor became a healing tool for me. Very, very quickly. It wasn't even really a decision. It wasn't like, oh, humor is going to be a healing tool for me. It just, that's who I am. That's who I always was. I was already a comedian. I already found the funny inside everything. So now that humor just sort of became a little more twisted. <laughs> so how did that work, Kelly? I mean, here you've been married for four years and some months and Don dies suddenly yeah. and you naturally turn to humor. How did that happen? Because I know for me and many people, the humor is the first thing that goes. Yeah. It, it just goes out the window. Nothing's funny, right? So, but for right. you, it sounds like that's what you turn to first. So how did that look for you? And, and how did you use it right after Don died? Well, it sort of just started happening with the people around me. So Don was uh, a paramedic. And so he had a really good sense of humor. And he, I think that was a big reason that I turned to humor so easily is because he had a very twisted sense of humor and he was very funny. And so very quickly, like while we were planning his funeral, the um, brothers and sisters in EMS, you know, that he worked with came to our rescue, so to speak, because, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing as far as like, how do you plan a funeral? How do you do this? How do you do that? I had no idea. They sort of came to our rescue and said, let us take care of this. Let us take care of you. And they paid for everything and they kind of put, you put the whole thing together. And so very early on, um, they were funny. Like while we were planning the funeral, they were cracking jokes and they were, 
you know, like a, a light kept going flashing off and on. And, you know, while we were discussing casket choices, a light kept flashing and they were like, all right, John, we won't go with that one, you know, calm down. And so it was very, very immediate that they were laughing to get through it. And Don always told me that's what happened every day at work. You know, if they had to deal with a really bad car accident that day on the ambulance, that's how they would get through it. If they lost a child that day or something like that in their ambulance, they would get through it by pulling pranks on each other, teasing each other, making jokes, because that's the only way they could get through the day. My own comedy background, I think it was just natural for me to sort of find the funny, like the dark funny inside of the pain. That's what I call it, finding the funny inside the pain, because that's what it is. It's painful, but a lot of comedy comes from pain. It's, it just does. And so it's, it's just kind of like another way to see things instead of, you know, crying, you're laughing and crying because you see the dark humor in the situation and you also see the sadness and feel the sadness and you sort of feel both at once. Well, I love how you phrase that, finding the funny inside the pain. And one of the funniest and saddest, all rolled into one, videos I saw was of you. This was a couple years after your widowhood, I guess. And yeah. you're standing in New York City and you had a sign that said something like, you can explain the story, but I was just thinking, this is so funny and awful at the same time. You were asking people to give the widow flowers, right? Yeah. Can you can yeah. you expand on that story and just explain that for people? Sure. I had a sign uh, because, you know, you see this type of thing in New York City a lot. People with with signs and, and holding signs up, you know, um, I, you know, I, I need uh, I need a beer. I need to buy a beer. I need to get high, you know, give me 10 bucks or whatever, you know, like very honest kind of funny signs. So I thought it would be a funny idea. And also I was very interested to see what would come of it. If I stood on the streets of New York City with a big sign that said, I'm a widow, you know, buy me Valentine's Day flowers because I'm not going to get any. That's basically what the sign said. I'm a widow, buy me Valentine's Day flowers. And then as people walked by, I stood in front of like a um, convenience store type place that had flowers. And I just basically begged people to buy me flowers. And, you know, my, a friend of mine filmed it and we put it on YouTube and it's there now. And, <laughs> and it's, it's dark and it's funny. And the, the real reactions of, of people, they're horrified. Some of them are, are like, what is this person? What, is this real? Is this fake? They don't know how to react. Most of them walk by me because they're, they're just completely confused. But, you know, that's always been my style of comedy is just sort of putting it out there and, and like, hey, if I have to live inside this awkwardness, you do too. And that's funny to me is kind of making other people feel the awkwardness that I have to live in every day. Yes, I get that. Well, and to your point, so now you do this comedy routine at Camp Widow, San Diego, Tampa, and Toronto called My Husband is Not a Rainbow. Can you just explain for people that have never been there what that looks like? I know at some point you take the microphone around and you ask people for stories, you know, what are the stupid things that people have said to you as a widowed person? And you do some very funny things. They're funny if you're in the room, but they're also uncomfortable because people are dead, right? And so how, how can you explain how you, you came up with that concept and how that rolls out into a room full of sometimes 200 widowed people? Yeah, so it's, 
it's the perfect audience uh, because I, I always say to people that since losing my husband, Don, to death, I, I've widowed people laughing is one of my favorite things. Like to hear the sound of other widowed people laughing is absolutely amazing to me. Like, and that's why I do what I do. And that's why I never tire of doing what I do, because that sound is, is coming from such pain. You know the pain, you know the pain that they're in and that they've been in and what they've been through. And then to hear them just laughing and like sometimes, you know, with tears and sometimes the first time laugh um, since the death of their person. It's just an incredible feeling that I, it's really hard to describe how much it means to me to be able to be part of that and be responsible for their laughter. It's unbelievable. And the way it happened was I, I turned to comedy and I turned to writing after Don's death. And so one of the things I did was I wrote a blog about how I was feeling and we did a comedy show about four months after he died in New York City. And a good friend of mine is Elaine Boozler. She's a legendary comedian, very big in the 80s and 90s. And she volunteered to headline the show in New York City so that we would get people to come. And we did, uh, it was like a fundraiser for me, basically, because, you know, I was suddenly widowed and I was 39 and I really had nothing. And so she said, let's put on this show and I'll headline it. And then you can come out for the first time and you can do comedy again, you know, the first time since since your husband's death and, and that type thing. And uh, she said, you can do dead husband material. <laughs> and so it became like a phrase that, that she said, and I said, okay. And so I started writing about all of the dark, funny things that happen as a result of this death. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, it's so funny that he died. That's not funny. That's not the funny part. You know, the funny part is what happens as a result of the death and how people react to the death and how what people say to you after someone dies and all the ridiculous comments people make and all the red tape issues you have to go through as a widowed person and the phone calls you have to make and you know uh there's you know the ashes coming back in your face as you're trying to you know honor this person and 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 things like that there's so many things that are humorous as a result of this this awful thing that has happened. And so when you can share that type of comedy that's so real and so brutally honest with other people that are going through that at that moment or that have been through that very recently, that laughter is very real. And it's coming from a place deep inside. And that's what makes it so incredible. Michelle Hernandez, who uh, is the founder of Soaring Spirits, in Camp Widow, she saw my blog and she saw the video on YouTube that of me doing my stand-up comedy in that New York City show. And she called me and told me who she was and asked me if I would like to be a part of this thing called Camp Widow and do death comedy there. And I said, what the heck is Camp Widow? And she explained and I said, I am so in. That sounds amazing and horrifying. And everything else. And it is both amazing and horrifying, right? 
But to your point, I love hearing widowed people laugh as well. And I know your workshop is so well attended and the laughter is just coming out under the doors, through the windows. One of the things I found so funny the first time I heard you was your story about the pants. The story about the pants. Would you be willing to share the pants story? Because anyone who's had grief brain will so relate to that story. And it's so funny, Kelly. <laughs> it is so funny. I agree because it's it's embarrassing as as all heck. I will say before I share, I, yes, I can share that. Um, it, it it the story does lend itself to a lot of physical. The physical is is a lot of what makes it funny, but I think it's funny anyway. So widow brain, for those who don't know, is basically brain that used to be intelligent before this loss. Um, is now fighting and struggling to be competent about the simplest of things, right? <laughs> so you might leave um, a banana in the oven or you might take your toothbrush and, you know, put it in the freezer or you might forget something when you leave the house. And so that's what was happening to me over and over again in the months and first year and a half or so after the loss. And I would leave the house every morning and I would keep forgetting my cell phone or I would forget my charger or I would forget, you know, my, you know, things like my keys, you know, things like that. And so this one morning I was uh, getting ready to leave to go teach. And I had a very long drive, hour and a half or so out to Long Island from New Jersey to go teach my uh, teaching job. And I was like, okay, I'm all set. I think I got everything today. I think I'm good. And I was checking myself and like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. You know, we were on the, um, Don and I had an apartment on the third floor of an apartment building and our car was parked across the street because that's how you live in city life. And um, so I, I left my apartment and I went down the elevator and I proceeded to go out to the street area. And when I went out to the street area, there was some people standing waiting for the bus that goes into Manhattan, probably 17 or 18 people waiting at that bus stop that goes into New York City, because um, we lived right by the city. And, you know, they all just kind of glanced at me. I glanced at them, whatever, you know, I didn't think anything of any of this at the time, because again, widow brain and I, you know, my brain was not on straight. And I was just angry that my husband was dead. <laughs> That's pretty much the the thought that process that was going on in my head and why do I have to work today my husband's dead I shouldn't have to do anything and so a bunch of people you know they kind of gave me a weird look I didn't really know why I kind of looked back at them and then uh, a man crossed the street and he uh was walking his dog and he gave me a strange look and I looked back at him wondering why he was giving me a strange look I crossed the street and our car was parked in a garage, um, an indoor garage. I pushed the remote, got in the car. And when I got in the car, you know, to, to leave, I, um, I, you know, how when you kind of start your engine, you know, you brush your arm up against your leg or whatever. So my arm brushed up against my leg when I was starting the engine to my car. And at that moment, as my arm brushed up against my leg, I realized horrifyingly enough <laughs> that um, I was not wearing any pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pants. And 
not only that, but somehow, you know, I had on everything else, which made it even funnier and more ridiculous. I had on, you know, the bra, the, the shirt, the, the, the underwear and shoes. That was, that was the really funny part. I had on shoes. So somehow in my brain and in my physicalness of doing things that morning, somehow I actually sat down at some point in the apartment with no pants on and put on shoes. I don't know how that's possible, but I did. And they weren't just like the kind of shoes that were flat and just slipped on. No, they were like shoes that had ties and laces and all kinds of complicated things. So again, I don't know how I did all that without realizing I was not wearing any pants, but I did. And so uh, at that moment, I had a very, very, very uh, <laughs> horrible decision to make. I had a dilemma because I could either go outside again and cross the street again with no pants. This would now be the second time crossing the street with no pants to go get the pants and then come back. Or I could stay in my car forever until I die. And that is what I was leaning towards because it was so horrible. <laughs> but eventually I did get up and I said, I can't believe this, but I'm going to have to cross that street and I'm going to have to do it with no pants on to go get my pants so I can go to work and live my life and pay the rent. So I, uh, you've never seen a fat girl run faster than I ran across that street that day, back to the other side, back inside the apartment to get the pants, put the pants on, came back down. And then I had to cross the street a third time with the pants and now pretending like, you know, this is all normal, nothing to see here, folks. Don't look at the widow, it's fine. It was horrifying, but it turned into a very funny story that I tell at Camp Widow. And, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that that's where our brain goes, right? When when we lose our person, it's like we lose half of our brain, too. So true. And I one of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you're just so real and you're so open and you're so vulnerable with all the things that have happened, because I think we heal in community and yeah. to hear stories from each other helps. And I am not really a funny person by nature. I mean, I can have moments of being funny, but when I hang out with you, I just feel like I can laugh. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. And I'm really glad to hear that. I, I love that. I love that you feel that way. Do you see healing in other people who have integrated laughter, whether they're coming to your workshops, whether they're, do you see other people heal by inserting some laughter into their life in some way? Yeah, absolutely. As I, I, I kind of, I think I alluded to the fact a little earlier that, you know, most, most comedy does come from pain and not all of it, but you know, there's, there's definitely comedians out there that, um, that just kind of talk about observational comedy and things that are that are not that serious and whatever. Um, and I used to be that comic, you know, before this happened, I was that comic. I was, I, I talked about 1980s music. I talked about, you know, just kind of observational things, lighthearted things. And I still do that sometimes, you know, if I'm in a comedy club or something and I think, okay, this audience doesn't want to hear about my dead husband. <laughs> No, it's going to be a bummer for them. So I still do that. But, you know, most comedy comes from deep pain. And it's it's just taking that deep pain and putting like a different twist on it. So I have met a lot of people in the widowed community since this loss that also have dealt with uh, their pain through humor and using humor 
and I've met a lot of people that, you know, will say to me after watching my videos and things like that, you know, they'll say to me like, oh God, you're my spirit animal. Like, this is how I deal with it too. And you're so dark and I'm so dark and this is great. And, you know, they, they really appreciate that there's somebody out there that sees it this way, you know, and that's able to laugh and cry and know that both are not only normal, but important. I think it's important that laughter is part of the healing process and part of the processing, you know, because it's just as important to be able to laugh as it is to be able to cry or be angry or any other emotion. For me, I just, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to integrate laughter. But after I started researching, cause I'm so left brain, it's like, okay, how's this gonna help me? Why is laughter gonna help me? Oh, it'll decrease my blood pressure. Oh, it'll decrease my depression. Oh, it'll decrease anxiety. Okay, I better integrate this, how? So I actually got a subscription to SiriusXM and um, I think we had six months of free SiriusXM and on SiriusXM, them, there are a few comedy channels and I yep. set my buttons to the comedy channels on purpose. Nothing was funny. I was still horrified, traumatized, grieving, but I knew because I had done this research, like, okay, there's, there's a power in laughter. There are endorphins we get. This is a healing tool. Yep. Let me somehow insert this, even though I'm not traditionally a funny person. So I started listening to comedy on purpose on Sirius yeah. XM, right? So awesome. yeah, so what are some other tools for people who may be like me and are not, they don't just wake up and aren't, don't, we don't have a funny bone naturally. How can people integrate a little bit of laughter or a little bit of smile, even if they don't feel like it? Well, what you just said is the perfect way. That's, that's probably the biggest way is to literally go out and look for it in any small way, whether it's, you know, um, signing up for Sirius or signing up for um, a comedy channel of some kind, um, watching a little bit of Comedy Central or something like that. Or even just YouTube, you know, YouTube videos, you know, search out comedians, you know, of the 1990s or whatever, whatever decade you want to look into that could that could lead you down a road of some really funny things. And what's also interesting to me or been has been interesting to me is the way that your sense of humor changes after a loss, you know, so or, or what you find funny after a loss, you know, like, um, I'm not sure what you ended up laughing at because eventually I'm sure you did start laughing even though when you started out listening to those those comedy um those comedians on the radio you probably weren't laughing at first but eventually I'm sure you laughed and it's interesting like what you might may have laughed at is probably different than what you know the before loss you would have laughed that's a good point. I think I was laughing. You know, I used to laugh a lot at just the everyday stupid things like Seinfeld, right? The show about nothing, right. just the, the things. And then Jim Gaffigan does a lot yeah. of things about whales or kale. Yeah. Can we stop with the kale propaganda? You know, just right. the everyday things. So I started listening to a lot of Seinfeld and um, Jim Gaffigan, just about the everyday funny things. Yeah. And then integrating, you know, workshops like yours, like this is an everyday thing for widowed people. You know, we yeah. do have to deal with insane conversations about, oh, well, the, like you do a, a funny thing about, I think it was AT&T, them calling you asking for Don. Well, Don's dead. Well, right. can I we please talk, talk to him? him? <laughs> right. We need to talk to him so we can, you know, clear his name off of the bill. Well, he's dead. You know, so what? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like some, some of the comedy is, is about us and our life and what we're going through, but also what is funny to, to people after trauma or after, after grieving or during grieving is an escape, something that's just has absolutely nothing to do with being a widow. Like sometimes you just don't want to think about being a widow anymore. It's like, can I put this over here for a while and just laugh at something that has nothing to do with that? You know, so that is what I find funny too now is just, you know, like you said, Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan, people like that, but even just bizarre com comedy, you know, just, it's just something kind of a little out there and bizarre. Um, that's just silly, you know, very silly. Have you heard of the books called Would You Rather? Yes. So Would You Rather books, uh, it's by Justin Heimberg and David Gomberg, and they have a whole variety of these Would You Rather books, and they give you choices, and some of them are completely ridiculous. Like, so I'm going to throw a few at you, Kelly, and you have to tell me which you'd rather do. Okay. So would you rather not be able to eat again until you see a bald eagle in the wild or until you find a four leaf clover? Okay. So either way, I can't eat again until that thing happens. You've got to either find a four leaf clover or see a bald eagle in the wild. I feel like I would see a bald eagle first. Before I'd see a, when am I going to see a four leaf clover? When is that ever going to happen? Ever? I know that's what I'm saying. It's just so, so ridiculous. I'm basically never going to eat again if I if I don't see that. So yeah, I need to eat. I mean, hello. So yeah, I'm going to go with the bald eagle. Okay. How about this? Would you rather sleep upside down like a bat or standing up like a cow? <laughs> well, I'm kind of thinking if I was upside down like a bat, that the blood would rush to my head and I would die. So I'm going to go with the cow. All right. And the last one, would you rather have a small butt on your chin or <laughs> two little feet dangling from your nose? Oh my God. Those, that's a horrible choice. A butt on your chin. Is that where it is on your chin? That would obviously look ridiculous and awful and stupid. However, I absolutely hate feet. Like <laughs> hate feet. So I don't want feet on my face dangling from my nose. Two of them? Two feet on my face? Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. That's really tough. How small is this butt? How small are we talking? And how large are these feet? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with the, with the butt, oddly enough, because at least if it's on, if it's on your chin, that's not, like, affecting... <laughs> your sense of smell and like everything because if, if you got feet hanging from your nose you can't really use your nose yeah that's an awful choice i know isn't it bad so i mean these books had me cracking up because of these absurd questions right yep it's like what are you really going to make me pick and so my son and i yes you have to pick one and then we go through all the choices like do we want the butt chin or do we want the feet hanging or you know yep. So books especially crack me up because that's something that that's like a weird version of something Don and I used to do actually. Like I would do that to him all the time. Not like would you rather, but just ridiculous scenarios I would bring up just out of nowhere. Like we'd be lying in bed and I would just annoy him because I found it so funny and so fun. And he was so easy to, you know, annoy because he never got angry ever. So <laughs> 
I would just like purposely try and irritate him and he never got irritated. So I would just keep trying. And it was so funny to me. I would, you know, we would just be laying there and I would just say like, so, you know, I called him boo. I'd be like, boo. And he'd be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. What would you do if I, if I gained like 600 pounds in like three days, what would you do? Would you leave me? And he'd be like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah, seriously, what would you do? And he'd be like, no, no, I would not leave you. And like, what if I gained 700 pounds? Would you leave me then? He'd be like, no. Be like, what about 800 pounds? And I would just keep going. He'd be like, what is the, whatever the answer is that's going to allow me to sleep, that's the answer. And I would just annoy him to death, like, you know, doing that. It's so funny you're talking about that because I have your book right here. My husband is not a rainbow. And there is a story in here about you doing that as you guys are standing in a line for cupcakes. And you asked him, now, if I died, hypothetically, if I died, who would be the movie star? Like, who would take my place, right? If you could have anybody. Uh, And then he asked you the same thing if he died and you were like, I don't want to talk about it. That's right. That's right. I did say that. I was like, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that even hypothetically. I'm not going there. You have a book called My Husband is Not a Rainbow. You do a comedy show called My Husband is Not a Rainbow. Can you tell people a little bit about if folks want to find you, if they want to come to your show, where can they find your book? Where are you out in the world? Where can they watch some of your videos? Um, I know you have a TEDx video as well. So can you just talk a little bit about where people can find you in the world and what you're currently doing and what's out there? Yeah, sure. So if you happen to walk by me, you'll recognize me right away because I'm the one with the butt on my face hanging from my chin. <laughs> that's my lot in life, apparently. So so that's first off. You'll you'll see me right away with the butt on my chin. But other than that, the place to find kind of everything that I do is my website, which is a kellylinlife.com, all one word, a kellylinlife.com. And that has all these various things that you mentioned, including my book, um, which is about, you know, the brutally honest, awful, hilarious truth about this loss, this kind of loss. So it's it's a really great book for anybody who is grieving or knows somebody who is grieving um, and trying to also live their life and do that in an honest way that honors that person that died and honors themselves. The TED Talk is uh, on YouTube and it's also on that website uh, that I mentioned. And that I'm very proud of. I'll always be very proud of that TED Talk because it's kind of one of my missions in life after this loss to, to continue the message that, you know, you don't move on from something like this. You don't get over it. You move through it. You carry it with you. It changes who you are. It alters you forever. And in the end, really, it's what I believe is it's up to you how it changes you. You know, and that's kind of the message that I like to send is it's up to you how it changes you. Um, eventually, when the pain isn't so forthright in the in the forefront and moves more toward the back, um, that, then you get to start making decisions about what do I want my life to look like today? And how am I going to carry this loss into today? And those are decisions that are up to each of us. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Instead of being ashamed and feeling shame for loving the person that died. 
and feeling like you have to get over it. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that we should be telling people to do that. I think that's very unhealthy. I think it's a horrible message to send to people. But yet that's what a lot of our society does tell people. And I think it's terrible. So my that's what my TED Talk is about. And it has 2 million views and I'm very proud of it. So um, so that's, that's the TED Talk. And yeah, I do stand-up comedy kind of wherever and whoever wants me to do it, I do it <laughs> for them. And you can find all that at my website. A Kelly Lynn Life. And Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y. So akellylynnlife.com. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing your story, sharing your humor, your comedy, and yourself with the world. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you having me on. And thank you so much. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z healingtoolbox.com. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.